Acts 2, verses 4 through 21. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you would, pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that through your spirit you would give us great clarity. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be soft and receptive for what you have for us. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain. May they change us. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, we began to look at Pentecost. And we saw how when the Spirit of God fell down and baptized these disciples, what was actually happening was a fulfillment of the Jewish day of Pentecost that was already happening. It was, Pentecost was a Jewish celebration, a Jewish holiday that happened the 50th day after Passover. It's when they celebrated the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, and they also celebrated um, the first fruits of the harvest as they came in. And, and you can see Pentecost through that lens you can see it through that Sinai lens. and Instead of uh, having the fire fall down on the mountain and the storm coming to the mountain and God writing his law on, on tablets of stone, here at Pentecost you have fire, you have the, the wind, the rushing wind. But God writes his law on individual hearts and that's why the fire rests on individuals here. And it's the ushering in of the new covenant. 
And this is also the fulfillment of the first fruits in which now that we have received the Holy Spirit, Paul calls the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 the first fruits. And we now get a taste of heaven, a, a real taste of what awaits us. And that was last week. What we didn't talk about last week was the speaking, uh, speaking in tongues. And a number of you immediately came up to me afterwards and it's like, are you just going to jump right over the whole speaking in tongues thing? You know, that's why I came tonight was to hear you talk about tongues. Um, well, we're going to talk about it. Uh, it was interesting this morning in my office, uh, my office has like two deadbolts and a regular, you know, lock there and bars and yet still strange people somehow find themselves in my office. Uh, and, and there's a guy who actually lives in the, the room next to me in my office. He, he lives there and he was blasting, I think it was um, TBN this morning, I'm not sure, um, but blasting some preacher, and it was just so loud it was actually really hard for me to concentrate, but th th this preacher was saying what we need is Pentecost power. We need Pentecost power, and I was like, well, I'll just take some notes, all right. You know, here we go. Uh, and then what he meant, though, by Pentecost power was we need tongues. We, we need tongues to be ushered in to our congregation, and um, then I, I quit taking notes because certainly tongues is here, but it's not the emphasis uh, I don't, don't get lost with that. It's, it's not the thrust that we see of Pentecost here. Um, and usually the type of tongues that is sought for and prayed for is different than the type of tongues that is mentioned here in Acts 2. Um, the word for tongues here is simply the Greek word meaning language. Meaning languages. Um, when the Holy Spirit fell on the, these disciples, they began to speak in other languages. Um, and then these, these pilgrims who had come in from, from all these different nations to be part of the Pentecost holiday uh, began hearing the gospel in their own tongue, in their own language. Um, this is different than the type of tongues that Paul talks about later in 1 Corinthians, um, in which it's kind of a heavenly language. It's not a known language. This is a known earthly language here. But you have to ask the question, why was this necessary? Why was this necessary here? Because you have all these people, true, they're all gathered together and they come from all these different nations and stuff, but almost all of them would have spoken Greek or Aramaic. Um, Greek, Greek then is kind of like English is now. You could pretty much go all the way around the world and you can, you can at least communicate the basics um, pretty much everybody spoke Greek. So, so it wouldn't have been necessary, it didn't have to happen that these disciples had to speak in, in native tongues and people's own original languages, therefore, to communicate the gospel. They could have communicated the gospel just by speaking in Greek, just by speaking in Aramaic, yet God does this miracle here. And, and the reason that he does this, right at the start, in this first preaching of the gospel. He does it here to show that the gospel is for every culture. For every culture. It is for every race. Jesus is the king of every nation. If Peter had gone out and his, the very first sermon he preached would have been in Hebrew, people would have thought this is, this is just a Jewish thing. 
He's preaching about just a Jewish king. Or if he'd come out and he had just preached in Greek, people might have thought, well, this is just a Greek thing. But here they're all hearing about King Jesus in their own language. And they realize that this king is for me. It is for my nation. The gospel is for my culture. This isn't some kind of foreign intrusion. Uh, One of the reasons um, that the Protestant Reformation actually failed in the country of Ireland is because uh, the missionaries who went there did not take any time to learn the language. And so missionaries would come in. You have, you know, the Protestant Reformation is sweeping over all these different parts of Europe. Missionaries go to Ireland, but they never took time to translate the Bible into Gaelic. They, they held worship services, but they never held them in Gaelic. And so you have all the people of Ireland, they, they, they rejected it because they said, this is some kind of foreign intrusion. You're trying to change our culture. You're trying to no longer let us be Irishmen. And, and here we see at Pentecost, and when the gospel first goes forward, it's saying, hey, the gospel does not change culture. It works within every culture. Now, many Americans, I I think, seem to forget this. Um, Many Americans seem to forget that there is no one nation that has a hold of Christianity. Um, You know, you see this on mission trips all the time. You know, uh, American churches, we go on mission trips, um, and we we go to maybe a a church in a foreign country, and then we are like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not how you do it. That's not how you worship Jesus. Let me, let me tell you how you're supposed to worship Jesus. Let me tell you what your buildings are supposed to look like. Let me tell you what modern English songs you're supposed to sing. Let me tell you how you're supposed to dress. Have you heard about VBS? Uh, you, you know, you need to start VBS, and you got to have puppets, you know, and, and, and none of those things are wrong, but it's a very American Christianity, and, and I've been, you know, I have seen in a third world country where there's these people holding up white Anglo-Saxon puppets, and, and, and teaching the, the children through these white, white Anglo-Saxon puppets. And it is so obvious. It's like, this does not at all fit into your culture. But some American team had, you know, came up with the brilliant idea of, we're going to give you these puppets so you can have a dynamic children's ministry. And, and Americans kind of have that attitude of, Christianity belongs to us. And this is what it's supposed to look like in the world. But that's not the case. Not the case at all. A matter of fact, we need every culture to uniquely worship Jesus because Jesus is the king of every nation. And so we can get much better picture of who Jesus is when we start seeing people of different tongues, people of different tribes, people of different nations, all worshiping Jesus within their own culture. We get a much more beautiful and complete picture of who Christ is. What's well, important when we think of Pentecost power here, um, we don't think of what I heard this morning blasted on the television. What we, we understand that tongues really isn't so much the emphasis. What is the emphasis is Christ going forward, the gospel going forward in every culture and in every nation. This good news is for everyone. And the response that the disciples get here is interesting. It's, it's twofold. First, you have some people who are amazed. Look at verse, verse 7. It says, And they were amazed, and they were astonished, 
saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How, how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Uh, the people couldn't believe what was happening because these were Galileans. They were the hicks of their days. This, this would be, um, I hope this doesn't offend any of you, this would be like going down to South Alabama, all right, or somebody from South Alabama coming up to you, you know, getting out of their pickup truck, putting away their Dixie flag, coming up to you and being like, parlez-vous français? You know, just like, you start speaking to you in French. It would bewilder you. You'd, you'd, you'd think the world's coming to an end. You know, this is just not supposed to happen. And so they're amazed. These country bumpkins, they're not this educated. They don't know all these languages. That's the first response. Then we see mockery. Look at verse 12 and 13. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Um, So some people see and they hear what is going on and their response is, they're just drunk. All right, they're, they're, they're just drunk. Don't, don't listen to them. I mean, come on now. And this obviously is not a well-thought-out response. You know, they're not really putting a lot of thought. They're not trying to interact with Peter and the disciples as they, as they do this. Because it's obvious the disciples are not drunk. Um, if, if you were to get drunk, which I'm sure none of you would do, but if you were to get drunk, I doubt you just start speaking in foreign languages And if you did, I doubt people would actually be able to understand you. You might think you're speaking in foreign languages, but it's what people would hear. And they would say, no way. So so this this, is a bad argument. But they want to mock them. and They want to throw this forward. Christianity, I believe, still gets um, similar arguments against it. Um, I can remember I was sharing my faith with a college student one time and asking him a bunch of questions. And one of the questions I asked him was, all right, you know, you've studied history. How is it that you can get a small, disjointed band of poor, uneducated people? How can you get that all of a sudden... Within just a few centuries, their religion has has spread over all of Rome, and even the emperor himself is now a Christian. Just explain to me, how can that happen? And he looks at me and goes, because they're stupid? (laughs) Really? Because they're stupid? And I said, you know, mockery actually isn't a response. Mockery is usually used when you don't have a coherent argument. So I'll ask you the question again. He just didn't respond. But that's usually the best defense that the world gives. I mean, I love it when people really want to engage, but usually it's just mockery. And and the shameful thing is so many Christians just shy away from it. Instead of just being bold and be like, that's not an argument. I mean, come on, seriously, listen, can can you, I'm asking you, just give me a rational answer. Let's have a dialogue about this. Be bold concerning this. Don't just cave in because somebody gives you a groundless mockery. Peter gets up and he immediately addresses the mockery. And I love it because he does it in somewhat uh, 
somewhat humorous way. Um, he says, come on now. Because we're not drunk. It's 9 a.m. It's like, you know, the liquor stores aren't even open until 12 on Sundays. I mean, it's like, you know, it's not possible that we're drunk now. And, of course, I'm sure he got a little chuckle from the people. He's like implying, you know, maybe we'll drink later, but it's only 9 in the morning. And that's enough to get people's attention. They start focusing in on him. And then he explains to them. Now that I got your attention, let me explain to you what is actually happening. And he turns to Joel too. Uh, look at verse 16. I, I love it when I just think this is, this is Peter. This is the one who this is the one who ran. This is the one who denied Jesus. And here this Peter gets up and he preaches this amazing message. He said, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now to understand what, what Peter is saying here and to understand kind of the, the context of this, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the second book of the Bible. Turn to Exodus chapter 18. Turn to Exodus 18. This passage in Exodus takes place shortly after God has rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Uh, it's right before they finally arrive at Mount Sinai. Um, Moses has been leading the people there and he's just now beginning to realize this is going to be a very hard task. Confronting Pharaoh is easier than dealing with God's people. And this is just now starting to dawn on him. Um, he would spend all day having to make decision after decision. Anybody who's, who's led a mission trip understands every five minutes you get asked a question. Moses here is leading over a million people. Okay, and they're constantly asking him questions. He constantly has to make judgments. They don't have the law yet, so if they want to know what God, what, is, what does God want for me to do in this situation, they have to go to Moses, and Moses has to tell them. And he's, he's being exhausted by this, absolutely exhausted. It's a burden too heavy for him to carry. And so his, his father-in-law comes and gives him some advice. Look at verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice and I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and who hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, 
and let them judge the people at all times. And so this is the advice that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, gives him. He's like, all right, you don't need to be doing everything. Find some capable people um, and just, you know, outsource the work, delegate the work to them and let them carry this burden for you. And so he does this. And then later we see that God himself kind of picks up on this plan. I mean, it was a God-breathed plan through Jethro. And now God does a little bit more. Later in Numbers, go, go two more books over. Is that right? Exodus, Leviticus. Yeah, two books over to Numbers chapter 11. And it's the same principle, but this is from the Lord. Numbers 11, verse 24. So so Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders and the people and placed them around the tent. God had told him to do this. Find 70 people. He said, and I'm going to put the spirit that I've placed in you, I'm going to take some of that spirit and I'm going to put in them. So they can shoulder the burden. Verse 25 says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to them and took some of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. Um, We'll keep reading on. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. I can only assume they're brothers. And the Spirit rested on them. Uh, They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. So, So here's what's going on. God, he sees the plan that's been in place through Jethro, and now he says you need more help. The people have grown. You, the people are, are growing in number. You, you need more administration. You need more delegation. Pick 70 men, and I'm going to take some of my spirit, which is on you, and I'm going to give it to them. And so this happens, and immediately they begin prophesying. And two, you got two kind of rogue prophets. You know, they're out there in the camp, and now they're prophesying, and, and Joshua receives word of it, and, and he's scared. It bothers him because he thinks, wait, 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 nobody's supposed to prophesy except for Moses. And so he goes to Moses, almost like a tattletale, and he says, two people are prophesying. You need to put an end to it. Because people are going to start listening to them, and they're going to start listening to you. And this is Moses' response in verse 29. Thus Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. Moses hears what Joshua is saying. Is stop right there. I wish God would pour His Spirit out on everyone, and all of them would begin prophesying. That would solve my problem. If God would just pour it out on everyone, not just 70, I hope someday He will do that to all of them. And then later... Moses' prayer actually becomes a prophecy in Joel chapter 2. 
When Joel prophesies and says that day is coming, in the last days God will pour his spirit out, and young and old will prophesy. Everyone will. And so that is what we see here when we come to Pentecost. We see this fulfilled. Peter stands up and he says, this is being fulfilled. What Joel had prophesied is being fulfilled. What Moses longed for is happening. Ministry is no longer for just a few select people. Ministry is no longer just for the professionals. You know, those, those professional ministers who are called by God, who, who they're the ones who are supposed to do everything. Not anymore. That's been a burdensome task. Now everyone gets to speak God's truth. Everyone gets to serve. Everyone gets to proclaim the gospel. Not just a few inspired prophets. I, I hope you see this. I, what I want you to see is that the new covenant, the new testament church is fundamentally different than the old. Fundamentally different. No longer has the Spirit of God just been given to a Moses. No longer has the Spirit of God just been given to, to 70 able men that they might lead. Now the Spirit of God has been given to everyone so that they all might serve, so that they all might minister and work. Let, let me ask you, does your view of the church more resemble what's found in the Old Testament where the ministers, the professional minister does everything? Or does it resemble the new in which you have God's spirit being breathed inside people that they might minister and serve? Which one? Do you see yourself as an answer to Moses' prayer, the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy? Do you see yourself as having that Pentecost, Pentecostal power that you might share the good news? Well, because the Spirit of God has been poured out on all believers, we are not, now, you've heard the phrase, we are now the priest. We are a priesthood of believers. All of us. This doesn't mean that you're supposed to quit your job and become professional ministers. Some of you might. But this doesn't mean all of you need to quit your job and become professional ministers. But it does need, mean that you need to start ministering in your profession. Absolutely. Wherever you are, wherever you go, you are a minister of the gospel. So be open to, giving, to God giving you a word from him to be shared. Be, be open to him giving you a vision that might change your life. And be open to him giving you a dream about how you can be personally involved in what God is doing. Perhaps, perhaps maybe one of the reasons that, that, that you feel like you don't have this, this God vision or this God dream is because your dreams are against his dreams. You, what, do you, what do you dream about? What is it that you, that you long for and you want? Is it the, the proclamation of the gospel to all nations? Or is it, you know, I'd like a, really, I dream about a bigger house. That's what I daydream about. I, I dream about all these worldly things. Is, is that, if so, it's, it's opposed to the dreams of God. 
So be open to God giving you dreams, giving you visions, allowing you to speak His truth into people's lives. Let me ask you, when is the last time you have sought Him and asked Him, show me, show me, give me whatever vision, but show me what your will is for my life and I will follow and I will do it. Um, I pray that this week you would take time to realize what Pentecost was for and you would begin to be the ministers God's called you to be.